take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 20. We are rapidly coming to the end of this book after two and a half years or so. We will do it in under three years, so that's a good news, I suppose. But there's, and we've, we've just kind of run through it, to be honest with you. We, we could have spent a lot more time in this book, but I want you to, uh, I want you to hear the word of the Lord this morning as we, as we listen to this. This is the resurrection account. This is the resurrection of our Lord. We, are, we must realize one thing as we come to read these first 10 verses, and that is John and the other gospel writers pretty much just leave Saturday alone. Christ has been crucified, and they lay him in the tomb, and then they say nothing else about Saturday. I want you to know Saturday was the Sabbath, so it was a day when they were not to do a whole lot. They were not to be out working, were not to be out walking about and, and doing very much. But I want you to imagine what must have been going on on that Sabbath day. There was weeping, there was grief, there was heartache, there was pain. These people had given their lives, they had followed him. They had believed in him. They had seen the miracles. They had seen the signs. They had seen everything that he had done. And now he was dead. You say, oh, yes, but he told them he was coming back. Yes, he did. And not a single one of them expected it. Think about that. Yes, he told them over and over again through parables and through direct teaching that I am going to raise from the dead, tear down this temple in three days, I'll build it back up. But they'd never seen that happen, except when he raised Lazarus, and that, he was there to do that. He's not there now to raise himself. So, so none of them are anticipating, none of them are expecting Jesus to be out of that grave. There, matter of fact, when we find it, come back into chapter 20, we find Mary, and, and Mark tells us also Mary, the mother of James and Simone, are coming to the tomb to, to add more spices, to add more embalming fluid, if you will, in order to protect the body. They're coming expecting a body to be there. There is no anticipation of a resurrection. There is no anticipation that anything out of the ordinary has happened and that they're about to be witnesses to it. They are coming just thinking life is over as they thought it was going to be. This one who said he was king of the Jews, this one who said... He was setting up his kingdom, establishing his kingdom, is now dead. You can't do a whole lot of, of kingdom establishment in their understanding of it from a grave. So they're grieving. They're crying. Peter, no doubt, is beating himself up emotionally because Peter is just a few hours earlier denied Christ. Said to three times, even to a little servant girl, I don't know him. I have no idea who you're talking about. I was not with him. I mean, you've got to know, Peter was beating himself up mercilessly, mercilessly, without mercy. Sometimes it just won't come out. I mean, he was grieving with guilt. The others were grieving with loss. It's important to understand this. They were not anticipating anything other than the body of Jesus of Nazareth to be laying in that grave where they laid him. You've got to understand that. You've got to know that. 
before chapter 20 makes any sense at all. Hear what John tells us beginning in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, John doesn't mention Mary the mother of James, nor Simone. He just says Mary Magdalene. The only one he's concerned about is her experience here. Maybe it's because she was the one most forgiven. I don't know. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark, probably somewhere between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. We don't have an exact time. And saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. The synoptics tell us that they're walking to the tomb and they're saying, how are we going to move the stone? How are we going to get into the body? The stone is huge. The stone is in one parenthetical note or one marginal note in one of Mark's manuscripts says it was a stone so big that 20 men couldn't roll it away. So they're walking to the tomb. How are we going to, who's going to move the stone for us that we might get in? They're, they're musing over that as they go, but they're determined to go and further prepare the body of Jesus. When they got there, they saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter. Now, now she didn't bother to look in the tomb. She saw the stone rolled away, and I assume Mary, the mother of James, and Simone also, and they immediately ran to find Peter. Even in Peter's denial, he still held some influence, obviously, among the disciples. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, we know that to be John, and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. We do not know, indicating the other women with her. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. Now, isn't that interesting? Even apostles like to brag a little bit about their athletic prowess, I guess. You know, he, I outran Peter. Well, Peter was older probably and other things, but he outran Peter and got to the tomb first. And stooping, he looked in. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Some say it's because he was younger and he was waiting to give deference to Peter, the older, to let him go in first. I rather think it's because John knew that was a, that was a, a place of death. It was a tomb. He would be immediately unclean if he goes into the tomb where there's a dead body. And Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth which had been on his head was not lying with the linen wrappings, wrappings but had been rolled up, folded if you will, in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb, also entered, and he saw, and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. Now, we'll stop there. We'll come to Mary, Mary's experience outside the tomb next week. She obviously didn't go back with them. She hung around there. She stayed around there. But what we see John recording for us here is the very significant first eyewitness testimony to what had taken place on that Sunday, on that Lord, what we call the Lord's Day now, after the crucifixion, after the death. After he had paid the price for sin, 
after he had hung there as a sacrifice and a substitute and been laid in a grave, prepared by Joseph and prepared by Nicodemus for that burial, hastily, no, no doubt, and, and hastily to get it done before sundown, before the Sabbath began. But nonetheless, a hundred pounds of spices laid amongst those wrappings and laid him there in that grave. He was dead. And they knew it. And they grieved about it. And now John and, and Peter come to that tomb. And they look in and they see that the tomb is almost empty. You, you know, it's the title of the sermon, the not, not completely empty tomb. It wasn't, it wasn't everything gone. Some of the stuff that had been left there was still there. And that's significant to understand. The, the New Testament writers are very clear to recognize the strategic importance of the empty tomb, both for history and for theology. It's historically important to remember what they see there, what they, what they experience when they come there. And the writers throughout, as we had, I had uh, uh, Ricky read this morning from Paul's writing to the, for, to the Corinthians, that first letter of the Corinthians, he talks about the importance of the resurrection, that if Christ be not risen, then our faith is in vain. If Christ be not risen and we only think about Jesus in this life, then, then how sad we are, how much we are to be pitied. I mean, the, the New Testament writers say, listen, this event, this, this, is a, this is strategic importance for history and for theology. Historically, it's important because of the preaching that rapidly follows this resurrection event. The preaching that goes forth, even at the risk of life and, 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 and limb, you know, that goes forth at the, at the risk of being persecuted unmercifully as they were, but because they saw the empty tomb, and not just the empty tomb, but later as we'll see, saw Jesus alive, they went forth historically and proclaimed the gospel throughout the world. You're here this morning as Christians believing in the Lord Jesus Christ because of the resurrection and because of the historical significance that went forth from that empty tomb. Theologically, the empty tomb rules out any reinterpretation of reapplication of resurrection that makes it somehow just a spiritual experience. Some want to say, well, the disciples did experience Jesus after the, after the death, but it was, it was sort, of a, sort of a metaphysical, you know, existential uh, experience where they just, they just sensed the presence of Jesus. No, the, the New Testament writers make it very clear that is not an option. They saw him. They experienced him alive. And so we have to understand that, that the New Testament writers are clear that historically and theologically, everything sort of linchpins on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I want you to think about the implications of them getting there that morning, of them coming to that tomb. They're coming to anoint a corpse. They're coming to anoint a dead body. They have absolutely no expectations that he has risen from the dead, even as he reportedly and reported to them that he would. They come to that grave expecting to find the body of Jesus. What they find instead is the wrappings that he had been buried in. They, they find instead the grave clothes. And the, the, the face cloth, the head cloth, 
was not even lying with the grave clothes. You, you, can, you can almost imagine 100 pounds of spices have been laid in the body. For three days it's dried now and hardened that there's almost a shell as though the body is still in it, but the shell of the grave clothes are empty. But the face cloth has been taken and neatly rolled up, folded, and laid in another place. You know, the synoptics tell us that after the resurrection, the soldiers ran back to the, the, to the authorities and said, Listen, he's gone. Jesus is gone. They, we don't know what happened. There was, we fell as dead men. There was an earthquake. There was all sorts of... But he's gone. And the authorities pondered that a bit. And they said, listen, we can't let this out. Well, they're going to say he rose from the dead. They're going to say he's back alive. So here's what I want you to do. If anyone, if you hear anybody, or anybody says anything, you just say to them that, well, we, we fell asleep. We fell asleep. And while we were asleep, those nasty disciples came in, rolled away the stone, and stole the body. Now just think about it a minute. I mean, let's just be practical here for a minute. Let's say they did. They didn't, but let's say they did. Let's say they got there and they saw that the soldiers were asleep and they very quietly, as much as they could, rolling the stone that weighed so much that 20 men couldn't move it, the, uh, that that marginal note said, but they somehow quietly got this stone on stone to roll back quietly, and they snuck in there, and they said, now, shh, don't wake them up. You hold on to the feet, and we're going to reach in this, and we're going to pull the body out of the grave clothes, and then we're going to set it back real neat and nice. We're going to fold this up over here, and we're going we're to take this body now and leave with it would have taken a matter a, a fairly significant amount of time to do that. If you've got soldiers outside who are weaponized and ready to kill at the, at the bequest of their government, anybody who comes near that, that tomb, as a matter of fact, even grave robbers, the penalty uh, sometime later because there was such a problem with it, the penalty for robbing a grave was death immediately. You're not going to tiptoe in there and carefully slide the body, if you can, out of the grave clothes and take all that time to do it. If you're going to steal the body, you're going to get the stone out of the way, you're going to grab everything you can, grab that body as is, and you're going to run with it. And when you get back there, the, 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 empty, the, the tomb would be empty. But this tomb wasn't completely empty. There was no hurry. We don't know how Jesus exited the grave clothes, whether he just lifted himself through them or, or what, but the grave clothes are there. Folks, that's one of the greatest evidences that all those little theories and all those little stories being passed around about the disciples stealing the body are absolutely ludicrous. There was no way they would have spent time removing the body from the grave clothes. They would have grabbed the, grabbed the body, grave clothes and all, and run from the grave as quietly as they could, to try to avoid the soldiers. But John is careful to give us this eyewitness testimony, this, this eyewitness understanding. He said, we looked, and, and there, there was the linen wrappings. There was the things that had prepared him for death. There was his grave clothes. And then the face cover wrapped up and laid separately. Like Jesus was in no hurry to get out of the tomb. He was in no hurry to, to roll away the stone and scare those soldiers half to death, which is what he did. 
where they fell as dead men because of the resurrection. He was in no hurry at all. It was laid separately, indicating there was no haste, no rushing, no panic. The resurrection was just happening. It was taking place. It's taking place just like Jesus said it would, just like the prophets said it would, that Jesus was in this moment, at this time, he was preparing to show the world that he really was who he said he was, that all those signs really were pointing to him as Son of God, as Messiah, and that all those miracles, all those teachings were from God, vindicated by God. I, I love this. I love this when, when in verse 8, said the other disciple, John speaking that way as he does, not using his own name, speaking in a different person. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb, then also entered, and he saw, and he believed. John is saying something significant here. He said, I... I was the first disciple to really believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, some critics will say, well, he's just saying he really believes the body's gone like Mary had said. No, no, that's, that's too trite for what, what John is saying here. He saw and he believed. Later on, after all the encounters of the disciples, we'll see in verse 29, Jesus is going to say to, to Thomas, he's going to say, listen, because you've seen me, you believe, but blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. John was the first one like that. He will later see Jesus. He will later see and understand the significance of this even more fully because John even says at that point, they didn't, even, they didn't understand the Scripture. They didn't understand the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead, but they just knew it had happened. They knew something Special, it happened. And John said, I believed when I saw that empty tomb. More than that, we need to understand, as Paul said, that if, if, if that's not what happened there, there's not the reality of that resurrection, he, him coming out of the tomb alive, then what are we doing here? Why are we in this building this morning? Why do we build this building? Why do we expend the money? Why do we expend the time? Why do we come every week, week after week after week to, to sing and, 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 and hear sermons and, and study the Word of God? If He's not risen, folks, it is foolish stuff we're doing here. Now, I realize the atheist, especially the new atheist, will say, well, yeah, it is foolish what you're doing there. Why? We don't even believe there's a God, much less a resurrection. It's, it's foolish that you are there. But Paul's implication is, Paul's clear statement is, if he didn't rise from the dead, this is foolishness. But he did rise from the dead, so this is not foolishness. He's making that absolutely clear in 1 Corinthians chapter. 15. We're found, we're, we're made false witnesses if we're doing this every week, and he didn't really rise from the dead. We're liars. We're, we're, we're bearing false teaching. Paul says, I want you to know it is true. It is true. The beloved disciple, 
believed without ever seeing Jesus. Now, next week we'll see how Mary sees him. But the beloved disciple said, I, I see, I saw, and I believed. But I want you to understand this. Most of the early witnesses to the, to the resurrection, most of those who became witnesses to faith in Christ and to the resurrected Jesus, didn't believe because they couldn't find the corpse. They believed because they saw him. They found him alive. And, and, and they saw that he was living and not just a ghost, not just a phantom, not just a figment of their imagination, not some kind of a hallucination, but they saw him alive. And, and John will deal with all the specifics of why that's real and why that's important. I don't want you to understand even a deeper significance for you and me today. You know, Paul said to the Roman Christians that here's how you'll be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Two, two simple things. Confessing he's Lord, believing that God raised him from the dead in your heart, in your innermost being, then you shall be saved. It's a, it's a matter of the resurrection. Understanding the resurrection is tied to salvation. You didn't see the empty tomb. I didn't see the empty tomb. You didn't see the physical manifestations of the risen Christ in his resurrected body. You weren't able to like Thomas say, I want to see the wound in his side. I want to see the nail prints in his hands. I want, to, I, want to, I want to be sure this is here. You weren't able to do that. Blessed are you, Thomas, that you see and you believe. But how much more blessed are those who don't see with their physical eyes and yet they believe? Appreciated so many of the songs we sang this morning were so Trinitarian. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Recognize the Father planned our salvation and planned the purpose of it and, and set everything in motion and did it before the foundation of the world. And then, then you got Jesus who came and he died on the cross and, and he, he propitiated our sin and he, 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 he was our substitute, he was our sacrifice. He went to the cross and he died and went to the grave and then he rose again and ultimately ascended into the, to the heavens back to where he came from and he sent the Holy Spirit And the Holy Spirit's primary work in the life of the unbeliever is to open their eyes to see the truth of the gospel. The primary work of the Holy Spirit is to draw men and women to faith in Christ, to open their eyes to see the gospel and open their hearts to believe in their hearts that God raised Him from the dead to do the work of bringing us to faith in Christ. So if you're here this morning, you may not have seen the risen, resurrected Christ bodily. If you're here this morning, you're a Christian, you're a believer in Christ, you may not have seen the empty tomb just days after it happened because it was too, far, too long ago. But the Holy Spirit of God has applied those truths and allowed you to believe that God raised Him from the dead, that our Lord lives. You see, our salvation is, is bought at Calvary on the cross but it's verified by the risen, living Lord. He is alive. 
every other, as we've said so many times before, every other religious leader, every other religious founder, be it Buddha or Muhammad or Abraham or whoever, are in a grave. They are dead. If their followers could go back and find the grave, they would find bones there, at least dust there. But Jesus, he's alive. Here's the significance of that. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Philippian Christians, made this statement. He was talking about his desire to know Christ, his desire to know him better every single day that he lived. And and this is what he said in in Philippians chapter 3. You've heard this recently. But in Philippians chapter 3, he says, I'm in Colossians. Turn too many pages. Philippians chapter 3 In verse 10, he says, that I may know him, and get this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You know, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead myself. All that goes in. But I want you to to zero in on what Paul says in, in verse 10, and the power of his resurrection. Paul is saying this, the same power that brought Jesus out of the grave, resurrection power, it's the same kind of power that God used to create the world, let there be light and there was light, water separated from the land and the water separated from the land, the creative power, the dunamis, the dynamite power of God, Paul says, I want you to know That's what I want to experience every day. And folks, he's not talking about just himself. He's saying this is is the power that you have for life. This is the power that you have at your disposal to live. The same power that God used to bring Christ out of the grave is the power that is is part and parcel of the Christian life. It's the power that protects us. It's the power that sustains us. It's the power that's at our disposal to fight sin, folks. It's the power when we are in Christ, in Him, a disciple of His. We're in Him, He's in us, the Holy Spirit is filling us up. Then it's the power... To live. But not just live in the flesh, but live in the power of the Holy Spirit. I heard somebody said not long ago to one of our members, said, well, you know, we've we got a difference here. We're, you're, you're, uh, you're Baptists, and we're spirit-filled Christians. And my member called me and said, i got to answer that. How do I answer that? I said, you answer it with, Pooey. It's a deep theological term, but useful on some occasions. And we believe in the filling of the Holy Spirit. We believe the filling of the Holy Spirit is, re- is resurrection power. We believe the filling of the Holy Spirit is walking in Christ. It's not some kind of static 
something or another. It's not something that just kind of takes control and we can't have control. You know, we're, we're just out of control in the Spirit. It's not that at all. But it's walking in Christ. It's depending on Him. It's knowing Him and knowing the power of His resurrection every day in our life, wherever we go. It's saying, Lord, I can't do this. I really can't, I really can't live this Christian life. I hope you know that. You really can't in your own power and in your own strength. I can't. I'm, I'm totally hopeless and helpless to live the Christian life in my own strength. And so are you. But to be filled with the Spirit is to be depending on Him, walking in Him, trusting Him, and, and having Him teach you from the Word, the truth of God, and, and sustain you every minute of every day. Peter and John go to that tomb and they are blown away. Peter doesn't say what Peter thought at that point. We'll find that out a little later, how he responded to this resurrection. But I want you to see that the other disciple, John, when he entered that tomb, he saw and he believed. By God's Spirit, by God's illumination, by His Holy Spirit, we see that empty tomb. By His illumination of the Word in confirming to us, this is God's Word, this is God's truth, and you you can believe that. We see that empty tomb. And we see, not with physical eyes, but with the eyes of our spirit, the eyes of our very soul, we see the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see the resurrected Christ as He works in our life and ministers in our life every single day. This resurrection is not just a historical event. It is that. And I think it's a well-founded historical event, as we'll talk about more in the weeks to come. It is founded deeply in history it's affirmed by history but it's more than a historical event it is a powerful event in the life of every believer to those who believe to those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead there is new life There is rebirth, there is forgiveness of sin, and there's establishment of relationship with Him for eternity. And there's a home when we die. Now, I will tell you, contrary to what I've seen on three different church signs this week, you know how I love church signs, that said, if God didn't forgive sin, heaven would be empty. That's not true. God didn't forgive sin, we wouldn't be there, and it might be devoid of human beings, but He's there. His angels are there. He's in perfect fellowship with the Holy Spirit. He would miss nothing. But by His grace and for His glory, He has done a work in men and women's lives to show them the resurrection. 
but more than just to show them, to help us live the resurrection, to help us experience the resurrection, experience resurrection power within our lives. And for that, my dear friend, we rejoice greatly. But it comes through Christ alone. You don't get it through religion. You don't get it through a church. You don't get it by liking a preacher. You don't even get it by saying, oh, well, I've read through the Bible three times. It's in Christ alone. Confessing with your mouth that He is Lord. And believing in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. Let's pray together. Holy Father, I'm grateful to you that the tomb wasn't completely empty. That the grave clothes were there to show where the body had been laying, but it was no longer in those grave clothes. I'm grateful, Lord, that that dispels so many tales and theories as to what happened there. It just closes all the doors anyone who's intellectually honest with it. Father, I'm grateful to you that you confirmed and affirmed everything that Jesus said and did through that resurrection. Father, you declared loudly, even to those who don't want to hear, who refuse to hear, you declared loudly, this is my beloved Son. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior. Hear Him. Father, may we by Your Holy Spirit hear Him this morning. I pray for men and women who are here that don't know You. pray Your Holy Spirit will draw them to Christ. pray for others, Lord, who just need to experience that resurrection power. They've been living in, in mediocrity in their Christian walk. They've been living in, even as I said earlier, just taking you for granted, not taking you seriously. Pray your Holy Spirit will bring conviction of that. Father, I pray for those who need to confess you, who have trusted you but now need to be obedient in baptism. Lord, Make that clear today to them. Thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name.